1: Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 221, The Moon. The Moon. I'm very excited about this episode.
0: I really like the reason we're doing it. And I think we touch on a lot of really cool
1: areas and a lot of good myths like we usually do in roundups. We love a roundup. I always get so excited when that's what we're recording that day. I'm glad. I'm glad. I know the audience also loves roundups, so this makes me happy. I also get excited whenever we get a new patron. It's true. I see the email and I'm like, yay, thank you. Yay. So thanks this week to Jacob, Chanda, James, Jenny, and John. Ooh, quite a J week. And our supporting producer level patrons who support each week we treasure and value and keeps the show going. Alicia, Allison, Deborah, Hannah, Jane, Jessica, Kinzer, Jessica Stewart, Keegan, Nieselkins, Liz, Megan Linger, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Polly, Sarah Skyla, and Sammy Todd, and Julia. Those legend level patrons we love so much. Audra, Drew, Jack Marie, Key, Lada, who had a deal with some import tax issues this week. So thank you, Lada, Lada. for your patience. You're a star. Thank you. Mark Morgan, Nick Royalty, Renegade, Sana, and BME Up Scotty. If I had the power to do so, I would name a crater on the moon after each and every one of you. Mm, there are certainly enough. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And Julia, I know that you have been doing a ton of reading this year. What do you have to recommend this week? Oh, Amanda, Amanda,
0: I feel like I've recommended Sarah Gailey's stuff on the podcast before. They're an excellent writer. They do a lot of speculative fiction, which I'm a big fan of. And I just started last night reading their book, The Echo Wife, which is about a scientist in the field of genetic cloning who finds out that her husband is having an affair with her clone. Whoa, I love it so much. And that's just the beginning of the story. It gets much more intense later on. I'm about halfway through at this point. It's very, very good. Highly recommend. And I have a feeling it's going to be a quick read. It's a bit on the short side, but it's very digestible is a good way to describe it.
1: Yeah, I love um, like a short story or novella, particularly in sci-fi, because it feels like you're just inhabiting that world. And it's not a world that I can linger in for too long, but it's one that's just long enough where I'm like, holy shit, like I want to go back there. Yeah, it's perfect, honestly. Beautiful. And finally this week, we wanted to remind you that we have a lot of really fun stuff for sale on our merch store. We are currently in the process of restocking our glowy logo shirts, which are definitely our top sellers. We have beautiful pins in partnership with Shaker and Spoon. We have spooky posters of our like haunted national parks, which are amazing. And listen, when you guys buy merch items, it tells us what you like and what you want to see more of. So as we sell it out of the things we have, we're able to make new hats and flasks and pins and shirts and posters and digital coloring books and all kinds of fun stuff. So if you haven't checked it out in a while, we've tons of beautiful items there for you. It is at spiritspodcast.com slash merch. My favorite is the pocket tee. I love a good pocket tee. And the fact that it's got our kind of repeating logo on the pocket is very, very cute. I know. We wanted a pocket tee for so long and then we made it happen. And it's just so lovely. Dreams come true. Yeah. And when you wear your Spirits merch out in the world, tag us on Insta. We'd love to see you. I want to see it. Get us in those stories. (laughs) <laughs> There's nothing more flattering than somebody tagging you in their stories. It's true. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for your support, whether that's through merch, Patreon, recommending the show to a friend, checking out the other shows on Multitude. All of it is so valuable, and we really appreciate it so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. So, without further ado, please enjoy Spirits Podcast Episode 221 The Moon. The Moon. So Amanda,
0: there was a viral screenshot going around a while back from Wikipedia. The article has since been edited to kind of remove the section that I'm gonna be talking about, about how elephants ritualistically worship the moon. Really? Is it
1: removed because it's wrong or removed because it was just like said weirdly?
0: Here's the the quote from the screenshot. It was, quote, Ronald K. Siegel has studied the precursors of religious faith in African elephants and concludes that, quote, elephants are aware of natural cycles as they practice moon worship, waving branches at the waxing moon and engaging in ritual bathing while the moon is full. Observations by Pliny the Elder also note supposed elephant reverence for celestial bodies. As you might imagine, Amanda, Pliny the Elder has not been the best source for this kind of thing. The man thought lambs grew out of the ground like dandelions, for example. Yes. But the quote from Ronald K. Siegel comes from his book, The Psychology of Life After Death, which was written in 1980 and is uh,
1: contentious, to say the least. A lot of orange flags at best that I'm seeing here.
0: Orange, uh, getting towards salmon, I would say, something like that. Some blood orange, perhaps. Mm, Some umber. This isn't to say that elephants aren't cool on their own, because like elephants have been known to like mourn their dead in ways that are similar to humans. They can understand human gestures and are even capable of mimicking human speech in a limited capacity, which I think
1: is insanely cool. That's wild. But unfortunately they aren't worshipping the moon. See, I asked before you said that anecdote because I didn't want to get my hopes up. Like the internet did. Yeah. I don't know. To me, like marking the passing of time and doing rituals and doing things like bathing for a reason that it's not because you need to bathe or because it feels good is to me like another level of consciousness. And I'm sure people actually study this, but that to me is kind of like, whoa, I did not know that.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like the idea of ritual, I think, is a very human thing. So if we start discovering that animals also do ritual in the same capacity that humans do, that's going to be like a big deal.
1: And again, I'm sure that like birds mate in a certain way or like, you know, when they have routines and habits and that I think is a different thing. But doing ritual sort of as a group because you want to and not because there is some kind of like tangential purpose or, you know, like holdover reason why you do it. That to me is like next level. Absolutely.
0: But Amanda, even though elephants aren't worshipping the moon, this did get me thinking about moon worship in general, because as we know from doing this podcast for over five years now, people have been worshipping the celestial bodies and the moon in particular since practically the origins of religious worship. So true to spirits form, we are doing a
1: roundup about our celestial mom, the moon. The roundest roundup of all. Not always round. True. That's the cool thing about our mom. Yes, she is always round, um, but sometimes dad casts a shadow over her and she looks like a sliver of herself, which is a metaphor that I'm going to just let go right by.
0: Also, fun fact, not a perfect sphere, kind of like more oblong from when they actually measure it, but it looks nice and round and full in our sky. So who can say for sure? So before we get into these specific moon deities though, why is it that we see moon worship? Besides the fact that humans are drawn to worship nature and natural phenomena, the moon itself is connected to like kind of the rhythm of life. The cyclical nature of the moon, for instance, was something that humans would have noticed really early on. Early civilizations realized that the moon had influence over the tides, which would often lead to its association with agriculture and the cyclical nature of the harvest in early civilizations where hunting was key or where the culture was nomadic the deity that represented the moon was usually associated with being typically male conversely uh, agrarian and agricultural societies were much more likely to view the moon as feminine this isn't like a hard and fast rule by any means but it is common enough of a thread that many scholars have taken notice of it
1: which i think is kind of neat I think that that's another sort of mark in the column of gender is socially constructed because it depends not on the moon, but on the people characterizing the moon. Exactly. And this is something that when I was
0: reading mythology really early on, before I kind of got an idea of, you know, gender being a social construct and stuff like that, I spent a lot of time kind of thinking like, well, why is the moon a lady and why is the sun a man? And why is this person in charge of this and this person's in charge of that? Very much I was like thinking about gender roles before I knew really what gender roles were. Mm hmm. I just think it's really interesting to be able to prescribe a certain society having a certain mind frame when it comes to a deity. For sure. So uh, let's get started. The first place I want to start with is ancient Egypt and the duality of Khonsu and thought. Now, thought we've talked about before is the ibis-headed god of wisdom and judgment. When we spoke about him in the past, it was in the context of his role in the afterlife and how during the weighing of the heart against the feather of truth, it was his job to kind of uh, write
1: and scribe the outcome. Yeah. He was like the court stenographer of ancient Egypt. I think that would be a really fascinating role to have because I'm not in charge of the proceedings and I'm not affected by them, but I do get to watch. It's like the fourth wall role.
0: Yeah, he's very like scholarly in that sense where he can like take himself out of the situation and just be the impartial judge there. I really like that. What we haven't talked about before with Thought is that he was originally a moon god and Egyptian mythology credits the 365-day calendar to Thought's invention, which replaced Egypt's 360-day calendar, which had previously been used. Really? Yeah. And this is where Khonsu comes in. So Khonsu was worshipped as the god of the moon and time and was one of Thought's companions. The story goes that the goddess Nut had become pregnant, but the god Ra had forbade her to give birth on any day on the Egyptian calendar. You might see where this is going. Yes. So, Thought came up with a plan. He gambled on a game of dice with the crescent moon, here represented by Khonsu, in order to earn extra days on the calendar. So, Thought in the game managed to win a portion of the light of the moon, specifically 1 of the light of the moon, which equated to five new days added to the calendar, which allowed Nut to then give birth
1: to her five children on each of those days, Osiris, Horus, Set, Isis, and Nephthys. I love that origin story so much. And I also love thinking about the person who was like, ah, shit. Ah, shit. Oh, no, it's too short. And perhaps coming up with a more poetic reason.
0: Yeah, I vaguely remember, and I I might be wrong about this, but with the 360-day calendar, they used to just every couple of years would have just like a week-long festival where they
1: celebrated the fact that it wasn't any of the days technically, like outside of time. Yeah. Obviously, there are so many calendars, particularly lunar-based calendars, that make a lot more sense in different like religions. But I always like to read the sort of speculative internet people answers of like, you know, what would a better calendar be? And like, what if our weeks were all five days long or 10 days long? And blah blah, blah. things that are kind of easier to divide in your brain. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like
0: everything's easier to divide if you set everything to the same number. Like, yeah, 10's easy to divide, but, like, if all of our things were by 6s or 12s or 7s, it would be much easier to divide. You know what I mean?
1: We're in Stardew Valley, where every season is 28 days long. Exactly. If we just got on the same page as everyone else, everything would be easy. I'd have so many coconuts, so many bananas. (laughs) I could summon my horse to me with a flute. (laughs)
0: Okay, uh, so Kansu is represented by different forms depending on the phases of the moon. So on the new moon, he is known as the mighty bull, whereas on the full moon, he is associated with a neutered bull, which is interesting. I would have thought it would be the
1: opposite, but it's not. Yeah, builds a vitality, but instead you start strong. And uh, like me, over the last 13 months, I've just kind of decreased, you know. Uh, So as
0: the crescent moon, he is thought to help women conceive, probably because of his association with the story that I just told you. Also is known to help livestock breed successfully. Kansu, as a god of the passage of time, is also characterized as a youth at the beginning of the year and an old man by the end of it, which is kind of like the ancient Egyptian version of Baby New Year and old man time. I love that. Or the Sphinx's riddle. There you go. As we do, we are going to travel across the Mediterranean and talk about the many moon goddesses of Greece and Rome next. Specifically, we're going to focus on Artemis, Diana, Selene, and Hecate. Artemis was not originally the moon goddess of Greek mythology. That was usually portrayed by Selene. Selene was more ancient. She was the daughter of the titans Hyperion and Thea and was the sister of Helios, the sun god, and Eos, the goddess of dawn. So much like Helios, she drove her moon chariot across the heavens, but by classical times, Artemis had usurped her as the goddess of the moon as well as the goddess of the hunt, wilderness, wild animals, and chastity. Chastity is just particularly funny because, yes, she preferred to remain a maiden, but also the concept of virginity in ancient Greece was very different from what we mean now. Really? And I just, I want to just go into this. This is fun for me. No, it's interesting. So based on Athenian social structure and the understanding of virginity, which translates from the word Parthenos, a virgin was an unmarried woman who still lived with her father and was thought not to have sex, which didn't mean that they weren't having sex. It just meant that they were probably having it, but no one
1: but their partner knew. Yeah. And it's more of like a legal status from what you're describing, which makes sense because marriage is a legal contract.
0: Sure. And it's like a societal understanding thing. So it was more like you've had sex and even though only you and your partner know, you're still a virgin, whereas like modern society is like you've had sex and only if you and your partner know you're still not a virgin anymore. You know what I mean? And virginity, obviously, social construct.
1: Yeah, I feel like it was very helpful for me to learn that when I first learned it on early proto Tumblr or whatever. And it's, it's important to know.
0: And obviously this version, even the Athenian version, is a super heteronormative definition of virginity. There was a philosopher who was specifically talking about like penetrative penis into vagina sex as opposed to other forms of sex.
1: So it's a beautiful buffet out there, folks.
0: Beautiful buffet. But to get back to Artemis, Artemis's symbols included the bow and arrow, which later kind of translated into the symbolizing of the waxing moon, which I thought is really cool. That is awesome. We also recently talked about Hecate in our advice from mythology episode, but I didn't mention during that that her aspect of the moon was also like a really important part of her. So offerings to Hecate, who is the goddess of crossroads and magic, if you haven't listened to the advice from mythology episode, you should. Often offerings were made to her and were left out at the new moon in order to protect people from evil spirits. And this was because the Greeks believed that the dead were particularly restless on nights of the new moon. So I think that's kind of neat. And quickly swapping over to Rome, Diana was the counterpoint to Artemis, and as such absorbed a lot of her background and patronage. Diana was a triple goddess though to the Romans, so the three aspects being Diana, Luna, who is the moon and counterpart to Selene, and Hecate. So according to the scholar C.M. Green, quote, these were neither different goddesses nor an amalgamation of different goddesses. They were Diana, Diana as Huntress, Diana as the moon, Diana of the underworld. So in her aspect, of Hecate, she is seen as the the crossroads because the path that hunters encountered
1: in a dark forest can only be seen by the light of the full moon. And I really love nice. that imagery. Me too. Also, every time I hear the phrase triple goddess, I think of like a, a pinball machine <laughs> getting like a, you know, a like triple blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I like that. That's interesting. Not how I
0: picture it, but I've seen a lot more just statues with three heads than you have, I suppose. Yeah, that's for sure. So heading north, let's talk about Mani from the Norse and Mano from the Sami. So uh, Mani from the Norse was the personification of the moon and is the brother to the sun goddess Sol. In the poetic Edda, here is how he described. So, quote, the sun from the south, the moon's companion, her right hand cast about the heavenly horses Arvak and Alsvid. The sun knew not where she a dwelling had. The moon knew not what power he possessed. The stars knew not where they had a station. And then in the Prose Edda, Mani was said to, quote, guide the path of the moon and controls its waxing and waning. So, like, very typical kind of Personification of the moon. Not a lot of personality when it comes to money and soul. They're just kind of there. Right. There's also the goddess Not, who is night personified and was the grandmother of Thor, but again, she's not specifically the goddess of the moon, just night itself. But what I would love to talk about is the Sami's Mano. So last time we talked about the Sami was when we talked about Biavi. So this is her counterpoint as the goddess of the moon. So Mano, however, was portrayed as unpredictable and dangerous, unlike Biavi, who is obviously worshipped because of her return and the hope that she brought after a long winter Mm -hmm. in particular mono was worshipped during the time of the new moon and especially around the winter solstice which obviously is the longest night of the year which could be you know multiple days worth of night that far north on the winter solstice honoring mono meant that it was tradition not to make any noise the entire night
1: Oh, geez. Which is
0: like intense because that's like that a is. long, long time. I actually yeah. I want to look up how long that is real quick. So like, for instance, in a Nordic country in Murmansk, which is a port city in the northwest part of Russia, the literal sunrise and sunset in the 22nd of December in 2015 was zero. There was
1: zero light on the day of the winter solstice that year. Wow. I don't know if night is defined by time or just by sun in that category. If you don't experience any sun, that would be like many days on end, like you said. Yeah. But that seems like a really, I don't know, that's like a really interesting form of worship to me because it is something that takes discipline, you know, and like focus the whole way through. And it's not just like a prayer or a feast, you know, or like a ceremony that you do.
0: I will say in a city slightly south of the one that I just mentioned, they got 49 minutes of sun that day. Jeez. So... (laughs) So you can see how the likelihood that it's the entire day is extremely high. So after this, we're going to go head east and talk about China, Japan, and India. But uh, first, let's grab a refill. Let's do
1: it. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. We love them. They are our oldest sponsor, and we so appreciate that they are back for another year of sponsorship because they're amazing. And I actually, I love the platform so much that I made a class of my own. It is all about podcast marketing, but I think it applies to any digital project and just thinking about who your audience is and where they hang out online and how you can add value to their lives and not just kind of like buy an ad that gets stuck in their Instagram feed. And uh, people are taking it every week, which is pretty exciting. That is really, really cool. I'm proud of you. Thank you. And if you conspirator listener, go to skillshare.com spirits. You can get a free trial of Skillshare premium membership that gives you two weeks free to check out all of the classes that Skillshare has to offer. They have unlimited access to all the classes during your premium membership. And if you like it, go ahead and subscribe and learn something exciting and creative and good for your career or a mix of all of them.
0: Yeah, again, that
1: is Skillshare.com slash Spirits. You'll get a free trial, a premium membership for two weeks, and it's great. We love Skillshare. Absolutely. So with Skillshare, you can find inspiration in the moment, learn how to express your creativity, bring color, beauty, and fun to your year. Skillshare.com slash Spirits.
0: Amanda, I feel like I'm always talking about my sleep patterns here on the podcast, but my God, I have been sleeping so well since I got my sheets from Brooklyn. And each time I wash them, Amanda, like I'm actually motivated
1: to wash my sheets because they just get softer and butterier and velvetier every time I do. I, with my own human money, Julia, bought not only a bunch of t-shirts from Brooklyn, which I've talked about before, but a hand towel. And now I'm kind of like, oh, man, do I have to replace all my towels of Brooklyn and towels? Because it's amazing. Like, how is a towel? Well, that's soft. Truly, honestly, honest to God. They are incredible. You need Brooklyn and sheets and towels and robes and duvet covers.
0: Yeah, so they have a variety of sheets and colors and patterns and materials that fit both your needs and your tastes. I really love our pinstripe gray-white combo that we got. Oh, I have that too. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting, and they are so confident that you will love their products that they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. I will not be using that because I love my Brooklyn and stuff so much. And and is so much more than sheets. Like Amanda said, they have comfort they have pillows, they have towels, they have loungewear, and so much more. So go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code SPIRITS to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and use the promo code SPIRITS to get $25 off
1: when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. brooklinen.com and use promo code SPIRITS at checkout. And finally, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Spirits listeners can get 10% off their first month of counseling at betterhelp.com spirits. I do therapy through BetterHelp. You guys know it. You guys love it. I talk about it every week. And I'm proud to because one of the things that makes me happiest in terms of making the show for so long is seeing people write in and say that they got therapy for the first time or they asked for help or they kind of felt less alone in dealing with some of the things that we deal with. And that, I think, is the stuff that therapy has to offer is knowing that you're not alone that the things you feel and might be ashamed of or worried about or anxious over are actually completely normal and a trained professional can help you be like, hey, friend, don't worry. This is how it is. And this is how we can help you achieve your goals, be happier, just be, you know, more content in your body and your brain, which honestly, that's the dream. So please go ahead, check out betterhelp.com. If you want to read reviews of people other than me, you totally can at betterhelp.com reviews. There are over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional, and you deserve to as well. So go to betterhelp.com spirits to get 10% off your first month of counseling. That's betterhelp.com spirits. And now let's get back to the show.
0: There are a lot of moon themed cocktails out there, but I wanted something kind of different and interesting. So I went with one called the Blue Moon, which it's basically like a gin sour, but with like one half ounce of creme de violet, which adds this really beautiful floral flavor. So if you pair it with an equally floral gin, I think it's just perfect. It just feels like, I don't know, like I'm sitting on a nice summer day and like, All of the flowers had bloomed during the day so it's very fragrant
1: out and I'm just looking at a big moon in the sky. I also love the color and I definitely associate the moon with like blues and purples so I appreciate this color family. You're welcome.
0: But uh, speaking of the blue moon we're heading off to China and we've already done a whole episode on the goddess Chang'e. If you haven't listened to our myth movie night for Over the Moon, get on that. It's an extremely fun and wild ride. So I'm going to spend this time talking about Chang'e So Chang'e is also a moon goddess who was worshipped in traditional Chinese pantheon. She was the wife of Jun and was first mentioned in the Canon of the Mountains and Seas which I just really love the name of. She is said to have given birth to 12 moons. I kind of assume one for each of the months but it doesn't specify. Jun, who was the god of the eastern sky was also married to two other women. His first wife gave birth to sons and Chang Ji bore him those 12 moon daughters who were each unique in their own way. And Chang Ji and Jun's wife, Ji were kind of a representation of yin and yang kind of balancing each other out. She gave birth to 10 sons. Changji gave birth to 12 moons. It's a nice kind of balance thing. I like that. Unfortunately, Changji's importance in Chinese mythology kind of waned over the years as new god and goddesses kind of came into popularity. And that is why we see Chang'e much more heavily featured than
1: Ji is. Makes sense.
0: In India, Chandra is worshipped as the moon god and is shown riding a chariot pulled by an antelope through the sky, which I really like the antelope. That sounds cool. Hell yeah. He is also the Lord of Night, Plants, and Vegetation, which I find particularly interesting because the latter is usually given to a separate deity or to a sun deity in most other traditions. Like, usually you don't associate night with plants.
1: Yeah, no, me neither. Except the very, very cool, like, night-blooming ones. Yes, agreed. Those are very cool.
0: So he is portrayed as a beautiful young man with two arms, which I clarify because many of the Hindu god and goddesses are often multi-limbed and is shown carrying a club in one hand and a lotus in the other hand. Ooh! One of my favorite stories about Chandra involves the god Ganesha. You might remember Ganesha. Ganesha was returning home from a feast where he had just gorged himself on these sweet dumplings. So he's riding through the forest by the light of the full moon on his mount, but a snake crosses his path and causes the mount to buck and throw Ganesha to the ground before it runs away. Oh no. So Ganesha falls to the ground, lands really hard on his stomach, which caused him to just throw up everything that he had eaten at the feast. Ah, beans. Chandra, as the full moon above, just starts laughing at Ganesha's misfortune, which enrages Ganesha, who breaks off one of his tusks and hurls it at Chandra. Oh, no. So the tusk injures Chandra as well as curses him so that the moon will never be whole again. So this is the story that kind of attributes the waxing and waning of the moon as well as the dark craters on the moon that are visible from the earth.
1: I love that story. And I'm getting real vibes of like taking the subway or a cab home from a party when you've like had a few too many drinks and then they hit above and you're like, oh, no.
0: (laughs) You're like, oh, no, open that window. (laughs) Just get me some night air. I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Glass move. he probably had a couple of cocktails while he was at that feast too that probably didn't help
1: yeah and you know anytime that i've fallen on the sidewalk anytime somebody comes to to check up on me i'm like i'm fine i'm fine like I'm, I'm so embarrassed that i don't wonder that ganesha got really mad when someone from up above is like haha you putts.
0: yeah usually people don't laugh at you throwing up on the sidewalk usually they're kind enough to like rub your small your back and be like you okay
1: you okay pup? yeah exactly
0: Meanwhile, in Japan, the moon deity is Sukoyami, which translates to moon reading or moon counting. It could also be read as watching the moonlit night, which I really think is beautiful. Lovely. As you might remember from the Izanagi and Izanami episode we did, Sukuyami was born when Izanagi was cleansing himself of his sins after escaping from the underworld. When he washed his left eye, he bore Amaterasu, the sun goddess, and when he washed his right, Tsukuyami was born. At one point, Sukuyami was said to have killed Ukemochi, who is the goddess of food. Basically, the story goes that Amaterasu had asked her brother to represent her at a feast with Ukamochi, and Ukimochi had provided food for Tsukuyami by spitting out the food onto a plate. Uh. So at one point, she turned to the sea and spat out a fish. She turned to the land and spat out some game. And Tsukuyami's like, oh, that's disgusting. I hate that. <laughs> Even though the food that came out of her mouth was like extremely beautiful and well-cooked and looked delicious like it was from a goddamn cooking anime. But Tsukuyami saw how it was made and so became so enraged that he killed Ukemochi. That's not a proportional response. (laughs) No. I'm sure it's a hospitality thing where it's like you are supposed to provide food in a way that is appealing to your guests. And if I see you spit out like an entire...
1: I don't know, broiled fish, which looks beautiful, but I saw it come out of your mouth. Probably not the best. Yeah, that feels like a kind of conservation of magic situation where it's like, this might look like food, but if you eat it, you actually lose energy. That would be on my mind, being scared of fairy bowers, you know. Fair enough, fair enough.
0: This unsurprisingly pissed off Amoratsu because she had sent Tsukuyami in her place and so very much dishonored her by killing the host. And so she told her sibling that she would never look at him again, which is said to be the reason that day and night are separated. Oh,
1: classic. Makes sense.
0: I read several differing sources on this, but Sukoyami is usually referred to as male, but also sometimes translations use she, her pronouns. One of Sukoyami's epitaphs is Sukoyami Toko, which is moon reading man. If you're using that epitaph, you're going to be referring to him in the male form. But, you know, I've seen mixed things, so you never know. The malleable, y'all. Malleable. Heading into the Pacific, here's a couple of Hawaiian and Pacific Islander moon deities. In Hawaiian mythology, there is the moon goddess Hina. Hina is a common name for goddesses in the Pacific in general, but the one we're talking about is the Hawaiian goddess. And there's three specific goddesses in Hawaiian mythology that can be differentiated between who all use the name Hina. One was the mother of Maui and was a moon goddess and was married to the mortal chief Aikanaka. She was also said to be known as Lona in this version, and she bore the chief many children before he died of old age, probably because Maui brought about death for mortals, but that's Mm -hmm, a different mm -hmm. story. Yep, too bad. The Hawaiian word for moon, which is Mahina, comes from the goddess's name, which I think is very cool. In one story, Hina created a beautiful kapa cloth out of the bark of banyan trees. Kapa or tapa was used for clothing primarily, and the quality of the cloth depended on one's place in the social hierarchy, which is like, you know, pretty classic, but like the way it was patterned and the way it was made depended on just where you were on the caste system, basically. However, Hina was just tired of living on earth, living on the land, not a big fan of it. So she decided to do her work elsewhere. So she traveled along a rainbow to the sun, but as she approached the sun decided, this is too hot for me, not into it. She's not going to do it. Yep. It's
1: better to have the devil I know, I guess.
0: <laughs> so instead, she traveled to the moon and remained there, where the stories say that she continues to make kappa for the gods out of the banyan trees that
1: grow on the moon. So fun fact, banyan trees grow on the moon. I love that. I, I would love to picture the moon as a craggly, scraggly tree covered place. I do too. I
0: mean, we can't see what's going on up there. There's a lot of texture. <laughs> Who's to say if it's trees or not? The people who landed there, they can say. I am not a a moon
1: no. <laughs>
0: landing disbeliever.
1: Or maybe like in DuckTales, spoilers for DuckTales, I guess. So <laughs> skip skip forward thirty seconds. Maybe there is a whole other subterranean situation going on in the moon and the banyan trees are down down there.
0: Or it's just on the dark side of the moon. Exactly. The part we never see. So let's jump over to the Americas to kind of wrap us up. The Maya worshipped Awilish, which was the goddess of moon and night, though there have been, again, some studies that refer to her as male. I think that's interesting. There's a lot of like fluidity going on here in terms of the lunar deities. As well as the goddess of Moon and Night, she was associated with the underworld as well as sickness and death. Less seriously, she was also the patron goddess of the Mesoamerican ball game, which is referred to in modernity as Ulama or Puck to Puck. Amazing. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's kind of like handball. And if you've ever seen the movie The Road to El Dorado, the game they play in that, that's the game I'm referring to. Exactly. So the Maya also had a 20-day cycle in their calendar, which was basically their month, and her day was Ik or moon. In her night aspect, she was represented as a jaguar, though in her moon aspect, she was represented as an eagle, which are both very cool animals, and I'm all about that. I like that. The Aztec worshipped Metzli, which was most likely associated with a few other gods, but we're going to use this name in particular for this god. Again, the gender of the deity is not super clear. Mostly they used she and they in modern translations, but it was said that they feared the sun because they feared the fire of it, and so the moon and the sun were never seen together. Again, there's a lot of that like, we need to explain why the sun and the moon are very rarely seen together, if at all. But they are sometimes in the sky at the same time. I know, I know, but more to represent the change over from day to night I
1: suppose is is the big one. And I also want to say that if your gender is the moon. That's good enough for me. That's fine. Just tell me those pronouns. Your gender can be whatever you want. Exactly. Another
0: version of the story said that Metzli attempted to sacrifice themselves so that they might become the sun. However, the effort failed and they became the moon instead, which was not as bright in terms of light and magnificence.
1: But I also wouldn't want to live on the sun. It's on fire. So I think that everybody in this roundup who has gone for Haven on the moon is really just, it's very relatable to me.
0: Big mood. Another version of the story says that the moon and the sun were once the same brightness, but it was not right that the gods be like equal in that way. So the sun threw a rabbit at the face of the moon, which darkened it and became the moon as we know it now. And this is another like rabbit on the moon myth that is very similar to the story of Chunga. So
1: there you go. Amazing. I love that.
0: These are just some of the moon deities that can be found around the world. Unsurprisingly, the moon's influence is super important to humankind. So it's not surprising that the internet believed and got really into the idea that elephants worship the moon. <laughs> I don't blame
1: them. I get it. There are so many variables that are right. Like Elephants that we know are smart, just kind of enough of a stretch that it's surprising but not shocking. And also the moon. Like Yes, we all have some kind of relationship to the moon, whether it's in our religion or cultural background or not.
0: Yeah. And there's just something about in the sky night after night, seeing the moon, something otherworldly, that something bigger than us, like quite literally but something bigger than us and something important. So when you look at the night sky, you just look at the moon, you're like, "Damn, yeah, that is that's got
1: to be something, right?" Also, compared to the sun, you can look at it. And so I think that's good for attachment and relationship forming. <laughs> Whereas the sun is like, "Oh, I have to do things now. Like, oh, you might wither my crops. Uh, you might not be out enough and then I just can't grow anything." Like, uh, the moon's just there for you, man. The moon's just there. The moon's just there. Making the tides rise and fall you know, coming back again, reminding you about things you have to do every 30 days or so. And it's just, I appreciate that about the moon's constancy.
0: I do too. I was recently thinking about just my growing up on mythology, and I realized that my preference for silver, like in terms of jewelry and stuff like that, and it accents and whatnot comes solely from the fact that I read about Artemis and Apollo and I was like, this woman, I pick her. (laughs) That's the one. Give me the moon, give me silver over gold and the sun any day. Incredible. It's just like big queer kid
1: energy. You got to have your lodestone and maybe it's the moon.
0: Maybe it is. Maybe it's the moon. And I mean, like we can talk about the association with like the moon and menstrual cycles and stuff like that. It feels very like gender essential to me to kind of yeah refer to that and bring that up. It's kind of first wave feminist. Yeah. But like it is something that was noted early on by humans. They're like, ah, yes, cyclically, just like the the moon, the people who menstruate, they also do that
1: in 28-day periods, usually no one's period is the same, (laughs) roughly asterisk-ish. I think human beings will find patterns where, you know, and associations where they may or may not be. And so, especially as you're kind of working out, you know, your place in the natural world, it's like a a fun coincidence that those two things are roughly the same uh, amount of time. I don't
0: know if I've ever mentioned this on the show before, but before I, like, really understood periods as just, like, what they actually are i genuinely thought all women had their periods at the same time of the month that's why people said time of the month because we all lined up at the same time and just did it incredible (sighs) the moon love my moon mom
1: the moon i love that Everybody has figured out and known that the moon has some kind of interesting origin story and or power. And there's something to be said about, you know, whether or not the moon has a feminine association for you. To me, there is a real, like I was saying before, like a real kind of power in being there every night, in being reflected, you know, taking someone else's kind of over zealous light and getting illuminated just enough like to me the kind of physics of the moon are so interesting and i sometimes when i'm feeling you know a little lonely or overwhelmed looking at the moon definitely calms me and i'll i'll take that i also do like i mentioned it in our notes
0: but i do want to say like there's not a lot of kind of ambiguous gender in mythology so the fact that several different moon deities Did not have a very specific gender was very cool to me and says a lot about like the phases and the kind of fluidity of the moon. So I I just wanted to point that out. I think it's really interesting and I think it's more of a reason why I align myself with the moon than with the sun. I love that.
1: Well, Julia, thank you for this around, around Mm round the world tour of uh, moon mythologies. And if you have a particular relationship with the moon or if you're listening to spirits on a moonlit night, we always love to see your photos. Someone tagged us on our Insta story yesterday about the view that they had while watching. And I was just like, ah, this is this is so good. I love this so much. (laughs) And next time you
0: are sitting Outside and looking at the moon. Remember to stay creepy, stay cool.
1: Thanks again to our sponsors at Skillshare.com/spirits. You can get a two-week free trial of premium membership. At Brooklinen.com, you can use promo code Spirits to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. And at BetterHelp.com/spirits, you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling.